I'm Brian Solomon. Doing conversations with Brian Solomon at Trains Magazine, Waukesha, Wisconsin. And today I'm with David Lassen and Bob Johnston. And we're going to talk about Florida's Brightline Passenger Service, which is a, a relatively new, a very exciting development for North America. And um, I'm going to allow these guys to tell you everything you ever wanted to know about it. And we're going to start with David. David, charge. Well, um, just had a chance. I was just down in Florida last week, had my first chance to ride it, have been anxious to ride Brightline because um, my previous trip in Florida two years ago, I happened to be there when they unveiled the first set of equipment. So I've been watching Bob reporting on it ever since, kind of wondering, well, when am I going to get my chance? Had a conference down in Florida last week, stayed a couple extra days, rode Brightline one day, went out and shot it, and was very impressed. I mean, this is beautiful equipment. It runs um, basically on an hourly schedule, uh, now every half hour for um, rush hour periods in each direction. Um, new equipment, rides well, fast, really um, uh, reliable, it looks to me like, in terms of uh, performance. The two days I was down there, I only saw one train that was running more than about a minute or two late. That one had been stuck by the infamous drawbridge in downtown Fort Lauderdale. Um, but I saw others that were running as much as 11 minutes ahead of schedule, which is pretty good for a 65-mile in 75-minute schedule. And Bob, why don't you put a little timeline on the on, on the bright line as to tell us where it goes to and from, when did it start, when did regular operations start, just a couple dates and times and things like that. Well, it all started back in 2012, actually, when uh, the company that owned at the present at that time they owned the Florida East Coast Railroad decided they had a lot of real estate in South Florida that wasn't being developed. They did some analyses and they decided that if they could upgrade the line, which had been once had been a very active passenger railroad until 1963 when there was a strike, if they could put back the tracks, build a second line from Cocoa, Florida, which is right near Cape Canaveral, over to the Orlando airport, they could do uh, Orlando to Miami in a little over three hours. And if they ran frequent service, they would do that. That's when it all started. Uh, they would use existing Florida East Coast tracks, but the whole concept was to develop a new service, an entirely new operation that was privately run. So it is, what's remarkable about it is that this is uh, a privately run frequent passenger railroad, there isn't anything like it in the U.S. I think the big difference, as David kind of alluded to, the pleasure of riding it, basically is the fact that all this equipment is new. It was built by Siemens uh, in Sacramento, California, and uh, it's a derivative of some of Siemens' European trains, but it also, uh, they have the locomotive, the charger locomotive, that was subsequently bought by other railroads uh, uh, in the U.S. Uh, that run Amtrak service or other operating authorities. So that's what's really good. But I think the, the advantages here is that these people are really interested in making a passenger railroad work uh, from top to bottom, from advertising, getting people onto the train, creating a product that isn't just a train, but it's Brightline, and they've been able to do that. And when did the service begin? Uh, it started a year ago between, uh, in 
this January between... So uh, Jan- January 2017? Uh, 2018. January 2018. Between West Palm Beach and uh, Fort Lauderdale. It was extended to Miami in May. And it's running between Miami and West Palm Beach now. They have not begun the improvements to the West Palm Beach, uh, north of West Palm Beach segment. But they are supposed to start that. uh, And that will eventually go up to Orlando. Yes. Um, And uh, they have recently been, uh, they have a merger agreement with Virgin Trains USA, uh, the Virgin Group. Richard Branson. Richard Branson. Uh, They are going to... uh, Go to Tampa next. They and and also Virgin has uh, an agreement to run trains between Victorville, California, and Las Vegas. Uh, that's a separate. It's basically doing the brand of service that they have created using the same equipment and so on. Uh, and out west. What is the what are your what's the passenger reaction to this? I mean, if you talk to some of the different passengers. Well, um, when I was on. Uh, this last week, um, just overhearing, you know, listening in is is always a great way to get real reactions. And uh, there was a woman uh, traveling with her husband across the street. She said, "This is so civilized." And um, there was another, a, a younger couple that um, they were they were making the trip from from Fort or, or from West Palm down to Miami for the day, and 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 the woman was saying that. This is so much easier than driving, which is is probably their number one sales point. Driving I ninety five between West Palm and Miami is pretty nightmarish. It's um, unpredictable. I have seen just in the couple of times I've been in, possibly the two or three worst highway accidents I've ever seen in my life on that um, on that stretch. Uh, as I, I was saying to someone when I was down there this last time, uh, the drivers on I five ninety five seem to have two speeds. 20 miles over the speed limit or 20 miles under the speed limit. And um, it's it's an adventure to drive there, and if you can avoid it, you are well-suited to do so. Well, that's probably the best advertisement for any train is get off the road. You know? yeah, and, and Brightline recognizes has billboards all along I-95. So when you're stuck in traffic, you can look over and they go, you know, that maybe isn't a bad idea. Um, I, w- I rode it in midday, so the, tr- the, the passenger loads weren't great, you know, weren't 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 uh, it wasn't real full but it's one o'clock in the afternoon you know 10 30 and one o'clock on and a friday the, ser- the service is only about a year old so it's probably still really kind of getting in people's consciousness that it's even there but but i suspect that you know they, they do the variable pricing model and i rode when the, the fares were the cheapest since but they um there was you know the morning and evening the, the rush hour time period so, so end to end is west palm beach to miami right are the two endpoints peak peak period fare what a peak period fare be uh, it was. Uh, I remember that the the, um, the the what they call smart class, which is sort of the basic coach service, uh, two two by two seating, um, no kind of food service. Uh, it was be uh, it was seventeen dollars when I wrote. It. I think the high was twenty five dollars. Okay, so it's it's not like five dollars versus one hundred and fifty dollars. No, it's, it's but, sort of in the general. Vicinity. Yeah, and then um, on um, for for what they call select class, which is the First class for most of us. It's two and one seating. Um, you get uh, beverages and snacks. You get access to um, uh, a, a separate lounge in the stations. And the stations, by the way, are beautiful. Um, 
And then you also, that, that, that ticket also includes parking at the stations. Um, when I wrote it, it was $40. I think that the, the lowest level was 35. So roughly double what the lowest level of, of, um, smart class. of smart class would be. And I, unfortunately, I don't remember what the high end was for select. I want to say 60, but I could be wrong on that. I think it's maybe just a little bit less than that. Yeah. But um, it is, it's, it's demand pricing too. Any, any sense for what the ratio of availability for seats versus smart versus select? Well, the, the, the trains, all the trains are four car trains. Okay. Three cars are um, smart class coaches and one is a select. So it's 75% right. roughly to 25, right. roughly. Yeah. And, and eventually um, I th when they expand to, um, to Orlando, the, the car trains will get a little bit longer. I think they're going to add another select, another select. There's going to be a dining. There will a be cafe food service. Car. Yeah, a cafe yeah. car. So, um, so, so the the mix will will change a little bit. But right now, um, you know, what, what I did is I rode you know one class one way and one class the other, so I could sample them both. I kind of did it backwards, as I turned out, because if you if I had left West Palm using um, Select, I would have gotten my parking covered. Instead, I paid for parking, and then I had. Way my ticket was. I had free park in Miami, which made no, no, which I right. no car, it, yeah, <laughs> no chance to to uh, take use of. But um, I, I was like I said, I was really impressed. The, the equipment rides really well. You know, in many ways, this is a a a route that was tailor made for this sort of service. It's basically straight. It's basically flat and re relatively high density. Rel yeah. Now the the negative of the relatively high density is that they have something like 160 grade crossings in those 65 miles. Okay. So they have to deal with a lot of equipment and worrying about strikes and things, you know, uh, passenger strikes. Let's cover that in a second. I just yep. have to reintroduce ourselves. Right. I'm Brian Solomon. We're speaking with David Lassen, who works here at Trains Magazine, and Bob Johnson, who's our regular columnist that covers Amtrak and passenger train operations. And we're talking about Florida's new Brightline passenger service. And uh, we're covering all the ins and outs. And... Um, what would you say the best part of the whole service is? What, what really struck you is that, you know, this is, sets this apart from everything else. How nice the equipment is. I mean, big windows, nice seats. I mean, it feels bright. It feels airy. It feels inviting. I think that um, anyone who doesn't have a passenger train experience or maybe their only train experience down there is riding the, uh, the tri-rail commuter, is going to be it's going to really open their eyes how nice this is and 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 how nice it can be um and and i really look for the biggest fault to me right now is that it doesn't last very long i mean six you know hour and 15 minutes and it's done you're kind of wishing gee i wish i could you know experience it a little bit longer so i'm i really think that when um when it goes all the way to orlando it's going to be uh it's 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 really going to find its its Market. Bob, how would you say this compares with an Amtrak corridor service? I'm not going to don't <laughs> let's not go into the long distance, but you know, a, a train no, ride well, that would be like a Pacific Surfliner or something. Well, I think the main difference is the as as David said, the equipment, but also how it's promoted. I mean, this is an actively promoted service, and there's incentive to actively promote it. Uh, does it lose money right now? Yes, it loses money, but the whole concept is to generate uh, a physical plant that is important, that is, is vibrant enough to handle lots of passenger trains and not denigrate the freight service. So I think one of the, the major differences is that 
corridor trains on, on the Amtrak system, whether they're state supported or long distance or whatever, uh, they are viewed as, as this is the best we can do with the money we have. That's not the way that Brightline has. So Brightline is setting the bar higher. They're absolutely. They have created a new. So you're saying ballpark. that Amtrak could really learn from this. Well, they should, but but Amtrak is is in a straitjacket of thinking that uh, will prevent them from from doing this. And what's that? It's they are too cost focused. They're they're worried about so a short term cost focus. Uh, all kinds of costs. Uh, they have an incentive system that rewards cost cutting. What does that do to mobility? Well, uh, nothing good, apparently, because that's what's been going on at Amtrak now. And, and they charge the states for a lot of the allocated costs that they say they incur. That mitigates against states from doing things like uh, frequent service. I think the big lesson here, though, is that uh, when they created Brightline, they also created a separate dispatching company, which can mitigate the freight and passenger conflicts. The dispatching company is neutral. It's run by the former Amtrak uh, CSX liaison. Uh, he is uh, he's great. Um, they're headquartered up in Jacksonville. And this is a blueprint that can work other places. What makes it work is the fact that uh, it's an even-handed dispatching situation. Two, two other things I would note. One thing, it, while the trains are losing money, the other piece of this for them is real estate development. And they're in markets where the, re, I mean, it's hard to get to the um, West Palm Station at the moment because of all the, the road closures and and well, and, and The Florida East Coast was built on real estate development. Yeah, well, it's, it's going crazy, but they, like they're developing the land that they own right around the stations, and so I suspect that they're going to that they're coming out ahead on that part of it. Um, so so there's that, and the other thing that's interesting when you talk about dispatching right now, it's a it's an hourly schedule, except there's a there's one window in each direction that is uh, two hours between trains, and at either endpoint, when that when the, the last like the train at the you know it, it's like 11.30 to 1.30 is the window in one direction. Um, right behind that 11.30 train comes from some freight. They're, they're used, that's, so they have a window to move some freight through without disrupting and the passenger. How busy roughly is Florida's Coast for freight? Most of their freight runs overnight where it's not an issue, but they do have this one kind of midday window where they can get things through. Okay, and then how late does Brightline run? When, do, when is the last train? Well, the last one out of Miami now is uh, it's uh, after ten o'clock. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think uh, it even might eleven o'clock. Yeah, I think in both directions it might be close to and that. And what's the weekend service like? Weekend, well, weekdays is, there's seventeen round trips. Weekends are ten round trips. They still have that one really late round trip in e um, each way, so that if you want to go out for the day, as for example, the day that I went on my trip back to West Palm, there was a very loud, very rowdy group going out for a night out on the town to celebrate a birthday. So they were going to come. They were coming out, going down or going up to West Palm on the one thirty train. They were going to come back on whatever the last train is. And boy, I'm glad I wasn't on that train with them because they were going to really be a handful by then. Now, does Brightline do anything with like Lyft or Uber to get passengers to and from? The they train? do have the, Lyft is a, 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 a is a, their partner. A partner. Okay. Yes. Okay. 
Um, because yeah. that's definitely, I know Amtrak's doing that, and a lot mm-hmm. of the European railways looking to, it's not just to get you from railway station to railway station, but to get you from end destination to end destination in coordination with, with some kind of other ground transport. And, and, and they're also really fortunate, particularly in, in, um, in West Palm, and I would say to a slightly lesser degree in Fort Lauderdale, and not really at all in Miami, is those stations are around a lot of restaurants and shops and like for a night out they're both they're play, you can walk from are, are the stations are the stations I'm trying to think of the right word are there personnel at the stations to assist you oh yes um, the stations the stations are new and purpose built and they're beautiful as I said they're built over the the tracks so you you go up an escalator and your waiting room is above and then you but there's someone there's someone you can buy a ticket from and ask yeah, questions yes yes there 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 are definitely people there. And now it is mostly a um, cashless environment. So like some of your shopping, you can do on, kind of the honor system. You pick it up and you put your card in yourself. But but there are, at when you first come in, there are station agents or whatever they yeah, call Yeah, and you them. can check bags too. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, one of the things I've noticed with a lot of these sort of startup passenger services, and unfortunately with some of the existing ones, is they've gone to like, you know, stations that are no station. All it is is a platform. There's no waiting room. There's nothing, no place yeah. to get warm. There's no one to ask when something goes wrong. There's a, a, a parking lot that they charge you parking for, which sometimes exceeds the cost of your your, your, your ticket. It, it's this is not strictly a North American phenomenon. I've seen this elsewhere, which all of which I find maybe it pleases an accountant somewhere, but is passenger unfriendly. I, I think, for example, parking. I think they're probably park charging below market value for parking right now as 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 an enhancement to get people. It's six dollars a day to park at their stations, That's which very, I think. That's uh, very reasonable. Uh, yeah, I I was paying. The, the metered parking, I think, was $1.50 an hour by there. So, um, so uh, and those things are all right next to the stations. Um, there are definitely people um, people on hand. And everyone, that's the other thing, the, 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 the public-facing employees were all really friendly and, and helpful. To and keep this train oriented, we need to wrap this up because yeah. I think you need to get to a train. Or, no, sorry, Bob needs to get to the train. Sorry, I know there was somebody moving. Yeah. And um, we're getting to that time. So um, we're going to conclude this segment on the Brightline. And thanks again, Bob and David, for, for stopping in and chatting about the Brightline service. I'm Brian Solomon. We're at Trains Magazine. And these are conversations with Brian Solomon. We're talking about any and all aspects to do with railroading. And we'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Thanks.